you ever had one of those days? Who would say in the last month you just had a day? You were like, man, I can't believe this is happening to me. It's like the just everything was working against you. Amen. I see a few of you. You're my people. And this past Monday had one of those days. This is all before 9 a.m. I woke up late. I, my run was in the rain. I had to move furniture out of Lindsay's car into my car only to find out that her sunroof was open all night and uh, leaves and other debris. It had rained that night, so that was quite fun to clean out at 8 o'clock in the morning before work. Uh, found out that was late, and I decided, you know what? Uh, she has to now drive a wet car uh, to work, which you're saying, John, you have a car. That's true, but she's going to drive that car uh, to work. And I said, but I'm going to do something nice for her because the AC's out in my car before you all judge me. I wanted her to have air conditioning. Uh, so anyway, I got out of that scenario, and I said, you know what? It'd be really nice if I made Lindsay coffee. Uh, and we, we do the whole pour over coffee thing. So coffee's not like put the cake up in and like a minute later you get some semblance of coffee water later. It's like uh, the whole process, like grinding the beans and, and doing the scale and getting the water warm and that whole process. It's like a five, at least sometimes 10 minute process. I go through that whole process because I love my wife so much. And just as I'm about to take the pour over thing to put it down on her mug, it spills all over the countertop. And I was like, come on, God, like you, are you hating on me today? Like it just was one of those days. And so after making a second cup, we finally both got on the road much, much later than we had planned to on this past Monday. Um, and I remember saying to Lindsay, kind of in the flurry of all that activity, man, this is like the perfect storm of all these different factors happening in one moment. And it just was wrecking my day. Now, you've probably used that phrase, the perfect storm, before. You've probably said something like that, maybe in one of those Mondays, maybe in just one of those scenarios as a whole. Uh, and I know I've done that. Now, it's heading into summer, and so life is supposed to be easy. This is the first time I've worn flip-flops on stage. I'm just, I'm relaxed. This is Memorial Day John right here is what you're looking at. Uh, Memorial Day John. I'm in flip-flops, and I'm sitting down. Two things that I don't know if ever have happened while preaching at center, but I'm, I'm going for it today. Uh, Kevin, I want to borrow your Hawaiian shirt later, okay? So it's one of those days. Like, I, I'm feeling relaxed, but, but not all days are like that. A lot more of my life is not like a nice, calm pond. It's a lot more like a tumultuous, perfect storm. If you have seen the movie Perfect Storm, you remember Mark Wahlberg, George Clooney, incredible movie, but it's a true story. And, and my life looks a lot more like that <laughs> most days. Like, there's a picture from the promo trailer of that movie, The Perfect Storm. It looks like that. Now, a perfect storm for you may look like just having a bad day. Maybe it looks like yelling at your spouse. Maybe it looks like flipping out on your kids on the way to school. Maybe it looks like your car doesn't start or your, your bills don't really get paid on time or, or whatever it is. Sometimes those make up the perfect storms of our life, but other times we face real perfect storms, stuff that we can't figure our way out of. I mean, when you get the cancer diagnosis, how do you figure your way out of that? When you have crippling debt, hundreds of thousands of dollars, you just, it's hard to even see and visualize a way out. Maybe you have a fear of the future. Maybe for you, it's, it's a, a marriage gone bad. Like you, it's not easy to kind of Pinterest your way out of those scenarios. They're, they're perfect storms. You don't, you don't get better out of them. You just kind of survive them. And I think for many of us, we've asked the question, I know I've wrestled with this, where's God in the storm? Like if, if my life is supposed to be one that's marked with God's presence and God's peace, 
if that's true, but all these storms are swirling around, not just my own life, but the people I love and the people I care about, their lives too, God, where are you in that storm? I don't see you, I don't sense you, I don't feel you. And maybe it's some of those uh, scenarios I described. Maybe it's something else. It's even hard to, to kind of pinpoint. You just say, yeah, yeah, there's a storm in my life. One of my favorite stories of scripture is about a storm. It's about a moment in the disciples' life and the life of, and ministry of Jesus in which he shows up in the middle of a storm. I want you to turn, if you got a Bible or a device, we're gonna spend significant time this morning in uh, Matthew chapter 14 and starting in verse 22. So if you got something to take notes with, you never know uh, what the Spirit may say to you and we wanna make sure we're good listeners. And so Matthew 14, 22, here's what we read and we kind of jump into the story. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. I want to pause the scripture there. I want to pause the story because right before this, Jesus had done a miracle. We're, we're in week five of the series called Unexpected, and this last miracle we're looking at uh, is coming on the heels of another miracle. Uh, Jesus had just fed 4,000, maybe more people miraculously. I mean, they had no food and they were fed. It's a, a bizarre story. And then at the end of the story we are about to read, Jesus does another miracle and it says he's going around healing people. They're just touching like his jacket and they're getting healed. It's incredible. But in Matthew 14, 22, we read this kind of scenario as Jesus is sending his disciples away. We don't necessarily know why. But in verse 24, it says, later that night he was there alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves shortly, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. It's peculiar because Jesus sends out these disciples. They don't necessarily know why. It doesn't say why in this story. It just says, you guys need to go to the other side of the lake. And so they go through what was known as the Sea of Galilee. It's really just a, a massive lake. I mean, this lake went 200 feet down. It was an incredible body of water, and it was known for just really, really quick storms, like storms that would just kind of sweep up the way the land and the geography of the area was kind of mapped out. It was just really fast. Like, you could be out fishing, the sun could be out, and within minutes, you could have one of those perfect storm scenes, like bad things would happen. And this obviously occurred to these disciples. They were crossing the boat, and Jesus is watching from afar. Verse 25, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Miracle. <laughs> That's a bizarre thing. I've never seen that before. Verse 26, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. See, they knew Jesus in the midst of this incredible storm was having a prayer meeting by himself. Like Jesus is not being very helpful in the storm because multiple stories before Matthew 14, if you know the gospels, you kind of get this, that Jesus had calmed storms before. This isn't the first storm they'd ever encountered and this isn't the first moment the disciples were fearful. They, they had seen Jesus calm and, and kind of quiet storms before. And Jesus on this mountainside overlooking, having this prayer meeting by himself, and this storm happens. And so naturally, they, they know Jesus is far off. There's no way that's Jesus walking on the lake. And they, like so many people in their day, believe that the sea, ancient thinkers believe this. You can go back and read this in first century Israel. Ancient thinkers believed that the sea was this destructive, chaotic, 
random, broken place in which you basically went to your death. They would call the sea the abyss. It was just kind of this black hole of, of sea monsters and creatures and, and people that had died there, kind of Pirates of the Caribbean style. Like people who died there would then come out in the middle of the night in these storms and just walk the lake. Like they would do that. And, and so they see this person and they clearly think, oh man, this is clearly a ghost. This is someone who's coming after us and is going to take us out. Maybe it's a, the uh, omen of a sea monster or whatever it is. And you may remember a couple of months ago, we studied the book of Job. In the book of Job, he, he mentions two of these sea monsters, Behemoth and Leviathan. Both of them were signs of chaos and destruction and, and wreaking havoc in God's good world. And so that's immediately what the sea was attached with. These storms would come and they had no way out of them. It was just this destructive, chaotic, broken, random occurrence. Skipping ahead to verse 27. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Now, again, Peter's kind of like the Homer Simpson of the disciples. Like he, he's loudmouthed, he's kind of obnoxious, not always fully with it. And uh, Peter's kind of challenging Jesus, saying, if that's really you, like if you're not just some random crazy ghost or a sea monster or whatever you are, tell me to come to walk to you on the water. And I love how simple Jesus' response is. He just says, all right, come. Like, that's about it. That's the only thing Matthew lists Jesus saying back. He says, come. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. When he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Now, here's what I think is fascinating. Maybe if you've been around church, you've heard uh, sermons about this or teachings about this, and often it's emphasizing the faith of Peter. Like, Peter, you good disciple, you, even in your dumbness, you walked out and you did the thing that no one else could do. Like, you're part of the miracle. I don't think that's necessarily the only focus of this story, because Jesus had calm storms before, but he doesn't do it in this one. It says much later in the story that Jesus then lays down and kind of hangs out on the boat, and then the winds die down. It doesn't say he miraculously stretched out his hand and rebuked the waves because he had done that. Jesus had the power to calm storms, but he had not done that in this story. Why? Why? And here, I don't know if there's a perfect answer, but I do know that I identify with that very question, why? Have you ever asked why before? When your relative gets a diagnosis, when the bill is much higher than you could pay, when the future looks uncertain, when you don't have a good place to live, when your car breaks down, when your best friend betrays you, when your boss stabs you in the back, you've probably asked that question, why? Why this storm and why me? Like, why me and why now? Like, I've gone through that exact same questioning process, and I'm sure many of us have, and I've asked the question, God, where are you? in this storm. What are you doing? I, I don't see what you're up to. And one of the most profound truths in Matthew 14, and for all of us, whether you follow Jesus for a long time or just a little bit, is true, that Jesus stands in our storms. If you want to ask, God, where are you in, our, in my storm? Jesus is standing. And that was counterculture, countercultural and counterintuitive. Because as we said before, the ancients, people in first century Israel, you don't stand in the middle of a perfect storm. 
you drown. <laughs> like, your boat capsizes. And, and while the whole boat is kind of topsy-turvy, about to turn over, disciples are afraid for their life. And David talked about last week how, how crucial fishing and the, and the boat industry was to these individuals. They were about to lose it all, doing what Jesus had asked. And they were about to drown. And Jesus is just standing there. He doesn't fix the storm. He doesn't do a miracle beyond the fact that he just walks on the water and invites Peter, come, walk with me. Experience this miracle. Walk, on this, walk in the midst of this storm. Jesus stands in our storms. And here's why I think that's profound, is that so much of our world is focused on helping us fix those storms. I mean, you can go to therapy, good thing. You can self-medicate with alcohol or binge eat ice cream or uh, there's a whole list of things you, could, you and I could be addicted to to kind of fix those storms in our life. And I just kind of Googled a few storm quotes because I want to see what does our world have to say about facing a storm? I want to read a couple of them to you uh, and, and apologize for the resolution, but they just were too good to pass up, okay? So life isn't about waiting for the storm to pass, about learning how to dance in the rain. Like, really helpful when you're going through a real storm or real crisis in your life. Like, it's cute on a, on a Pinterest board, but not necessarily helpful. Here's another one. She stood in the storm, and when the wind did not blow her way, she adjusted her sails. Like, that would be so nice, like right above like your bed or your mirror or something, but in real life, it's not necessarily very helpful. Here's number three. After a storm comes a calm. Like, thank you. Whoever wrote that one, genius. Like, extra points in high school for that quote right there. Number four, my favorite, the sun always shines after the storm. Uh, sure, like, those are not generally helpful when we're facing a real crisis. Kind of a Pinterest answer is not necessarily the best one, okay? Like, there may be some, some motivation behind those quotes. Maybe there's some a hint of optimism to each of them. But when you're facing a real perfect storm, you need a powerful, miracle-working, faithful, true God who can do the impossible, who can do the unexpected, who's just standing there. I love that image, if you picture it in your mind, of Jesus in the most dark, broken, chaotic, destructive situations of your life, just standing there. It's not that he's powerless. We know he can, he can calm storms. We, that's in his track record. But he's faithful, he's consistent, He's confident, and he's standing right there. That's the power of this story. I love the story of Corrie ten Boom. I've talked about her before in the last couple of years, but Corrie ten Boom is a Nazi prison camp survivor who had a devoted faith in Christ, even helped hide Jews from the Gestapo when they were coming to find them and take them to these camps, but eventually got caught. And she's writing and reflecting in her book, The Hiding Place, on just the time in prison she spent watching her family one by one die off. And she writes this about storms and about facing hard circumstances. She says, it's not my ability, but my response to God's ability that counts. That is so good. Write that down. Get that tattooed on your forearm. It is not my ability, but my response to God's ability that counts. Some of you just need to let that sink in for like five seconds. You do not have to solve your way out of your storms. Jesus is standing right there. You do not have to bring resolution or, or repair things or, or try to figure out a way to rationalize some of the deepest pain and suffering in your life. You simply need to engage the truth that Jesus is just standing right there. He's present. 
He's faithful. He is consistent. He's real. And he really has the power to change the circumstances of your life. And I love that. I love that a person who survived the horrors of a Nazi prison camp can write that and mean it. You can just sense authenticity in those words. I love that. It's such an encouragement to me. And some of you know a, a little, uh, I guess almost a month ago now, but there was a team of us from Center Church that went out to the country of Haiti. I'd never been to Haiti before. I did not know what to expect. There was a team of four of us from Frontline, four of, four of us from Center. Uh, three of us have been on stage already today, which is pretty awesome. I mean, it was a really cool opportunity for some of our leaders here at this church to go down and kind of explore what God was doing in Haiti and to see how can we as a church more strategically partner with them. So we went down. And I, again, I had very little expectations. I just didn't know what to expect. And most of the guys that you see behind me that went on this trip had never been overseas, had never been on a mission trip, and especially had never been to a place as poor and broken and hurting as the country of Haiti is. Haiti is the sixth poorest country in the world. And I'd never seen poverty like that. I'd never seen brokenness like that. I'd never seen kind of the realities of, of systemic injustice as I, as I did driving through the streets of Haiti. Now, one of the things that struck me is that as we begin to hear stories of Haitian Christians and missionaries who were in the country of Haiti was how real the demonic and the forces and the, the principalities against them were. See, I live in Byron Center, Michigan. I am quite comfortable here. I, I like that there's very little traffic. I like that there aren't like people cutting goats in half on the side of the street like there were in downtown Haiti, like some of these countries. Like, I just, I like all that stuff. I like having green grass and a fountain when I drive up to my apartment. Like I, I prefer that. And uh, that's kind of my normal. And so a lot of times I just don't think about the fact that there are forces who are in opposition to what God wants for my life, for your life, for our church, for our community as a whole. And it wasn't until reflecting on some of the stories we heard in Haiti. One of them was from a Canadian missionary who about a decade ago decided to give his life to spending it developing and ministering to Haitian pastors and, and to leaders in the church. And he's a part of the ministry we're going to begin to partner with. And so just mental note, if you want to go to Haiti, please let me know. We're going to take more trips over these coming years and really develop and go deep in this partnership. And so I'm really excited about what God wants to do. But he was sharing this story. And uh, he just kind of started to explain the powers of voodoo and witchcraft and, the, and, and mixing religion with the demonic. And I never thought about that, honestly. I've been a lot of places in the world, and very few of them have that level of kind of demonic oppression in them as Haiti did. And he shared this story about they were building a radio tower to broadcast the gospel via radio to all these mountainous villages that really you could barely access with common missionary tools or, or anything like that. So they're up building this radio tower, and they're building it, and and some of the people around the local area, I mean, if you're not like a normal occupation, your default occupation is to be a witch doctor. It's to like get people to pay you to, to curse other people. And, and it's a very real thing. In our Western minds, it's hard to even understand that. And I, I'm okay with that. I get it. But they, they would curse people. And so they began to throw curses upon this Canadian missionary saying, you're going to die. If you don't stop building this radio tower, you're going to die. We're going we're gonna to sacrifice animals and set up 
uh, altars and all these things in your front yard to keep you from leaving your house and building this radio tower. It's all stuff that's very spooky and kind of weird for us even to hear. And that part was like easy to kind of put away in my mind and say, okay, yeah, that's, that's how they do stuff in that country and that's how uh, God has to work through and intervene, all these things. But then he shared the fact that one of these kids, he kept visiting this town and kept building this tower. One of the kids he found out was killed the, the night before he went up to this radio tower. He was kind of prying into it, asking, well, what happened? Was it a, we naturally think, was it a car accident? Was some kind of severe uh, illness or something that came on overnight? He said, no, the witch doctors actually sacrificed this kid to try to stop you from building this radio tower and sharing the good news of Jesus. We don't want that here. And I heard that, and it got real. <laughs> like, everything I had thought about how to kind of navigate the storms of life or, or push through maybe some of the opposition in our world just completely fell to pieces, and it became so real to me that when we talk about the perfect storms of our life, we don't need those easy answers and quick fixes. We need a God who can overcome evil and who can break through. And, and that radio tower was established, and the gospel's being preached to thousands of Haitians who previously have never heard the name of Jesus, and we get to be a part of that in the coming year. But I love that story in some way because it just reminds me. We're not just in a fight against a bad day versus a good day. We're not just in a fight of like, I need a miracle as in, I need a better parking spot at Meijer. Like, the miracles that God really wants to do in your life are so much bigger than that. The, the faith that Peter began to walk with following this story, and yes, he wavered, but later on in the book of Acts, we see that Jesus built his church. We stand here today because of Peter's faith, and in this story it plays a huge role. We're, it's, we're in a battle against God's kingdom versus the world's kingdom, and God always wins. And that's really what a miracle is about. It's just sensing that coming kingdom breaking into your life. So maybe you're asking, how do, how do I start to live that out? I'd say something really simple to you. You just have to begin by engaging that truth that Jesus stands in our storms. There's not a direct application for you, and I don't know the situations in your life right now. I can't give you kind of a, a perfect next step that's gonna solve everything, but here's what I do know. The truth of Jesus standing in your storm will change you if you engage it. Don't just hear it and say, yeah, yeah, okay, I get it. But really engage it. Seek to live it out. Jesus says in the Gospels that you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's really what it's about. And those of you who are in groups right now, as, you study, or as you're studying the scriptures, you're learning that, that the truth is setting you free. I'm excited this Wednesday, meeting with a group of guys, and we're just gonna study the book of Mark together because we know the truth will set us free. When we're going through the deepest, darkest storms of our life, I don't need easy answers. I don't need quick fixes and, and really practical wisdom all the time. I just need the reminder that Jesus is standing in our storms. He's present. He's real. He's there. And if you want to take that even farther, not just engage the truth, here's how you can do that. Here's a real practical next step that tomorrow, even this afternoon, you could begin to live out. It's something so simple and yet so few of us ever really do this, is making this week, making it a priority, taking this week aside. You don't have to do this for the rest of your life, but, but maybe for this week, it's just reading a small portion of the gospel. Start with 10 minutes. Read 10 minutes of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John and watch the truth begin to change you. 
You'll see things in your world you've never seen. You'll experience Jesus' presence, maybe like you've never felt him before. Just take time to learn what he was about, what he said, what he did, the kind of life that he lived, and begin to engage that truth. Read the Gospels for a portion this week, because here's what's true, at least for me right now. My life doesn't feel like a perfect storm. Can I just be honest with you? Like, I... There's not a lot of massive waves and chaos hitting against the life I have right now, but there is someone in my life who is going through a real storm. And it's been incredible to see as I've engaged that truth every single Monday. One of my best friends, Jason, he lives very, very far from here, but we Skype every single Monday and pray for one another and speak truth to one another, encourage one another. And he's going through a very difficult storm. And I just got to share some of the truth that God had kind of stirring in me through the scriptures. And it, it encouraged him, it changed him. And some of you say, yeah, yeah, you're a pastor. Isn't that like what you're supposed to do? And that is true. But that's not just true for me, it's true for you. You could be the person who helps someone else navigate a storm, even if you're not in one right now. And here's what's at stake. If we don't believe and live out that Jesus stands in our storms, you and I will be frustrated, helpless, tired, burnt out, fatigued, over church, over community, I'm over Jesus, I, I just don't understand, we'll lose faith. Because like these disciples, it's easy for us to mistake God's presence for a ghost, to, to misread the situations of our life and say, God's not in the storm. Something else is happening, but God's definitely not in it. But the truth is, if we engage that and believe that Jesus stands in our storms and, and, and pursue him in the gospels and really begin to meditate and study who he is, we will see our deepest needs met with Jesus's unlimited power. And that's what we talked about week one. That's what a miracle is. Your deep need met with Jesus's unlimited power. And friends, that's when God begins to do the unexpected. In the darkest storms of your life, that's where Jesus can speak. And so I, I want to invite you as we close here in a few minutes to to bow your heads and close your eyes as we pray together. And we're gonna pray, um, and maybe with no one looking around and just you and Jesus right now, you can kind of self-identify, yeah, there's, there's a storm in my life right now. And there's something that's too big for me. I don't even see God at work in it. I just feel completely alone and in the midst of this, this chaos and destruction. If that's you, I'd invite you, because I wanna pray for you, just real quick to slip up your hand. Just right now, if you know, yep, I'm in a storm, I need prayer and courage to step out and see Jesus standing. If that's you, just slip up your hand real quick. I'd love to pray for you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So Jesus, I pray as we've read your word, we've studied your word, we've seen how you move. I pray that those breakthroughs, those miracles, I, I pray that we begin to see them in our life and in our day. And I pray for the people who raised their hand today just said, yeah, there's, there's a perfect storm going on right now. And even for those who didn't, who internally know that there's, there's chaos brewing, there's something broken. God, I pray that you'd speak so clearly, take courage, I'm here, don't be afraid. And that they would begin to live life differently because of that truth. I pray for those who maybe have kind of disengage scripture for a very long time, I pray that this week it would come alive to them, that the truth of your word would be so real and tangible they could feel it as they're reading.
God, I pray as we close out the season of learning about miracles and your unlimited power, I pray that you'd create in us a heart of faith, a heart of expectancy, a heart that's willing and open-handed to whatever you want to do. Because we're ready. We want to see that. We want to keep pursuing that. So help us, Jesus, to, to fully embrace that truth today. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, I'm going to invite you to stand, and I'm going to stand up with you. And uh, as we kind of wrap up our service, we've sang a song a couple times. We're going to sing it again today that just talks about the power of really understanding what it means to engage the truth and to see miracles take place. And maybe for some of you, you're like, yeah, I'm not a singer. I don't do that. I don't raise my hands and do all the pointing things that you do, and I, that's totally okay. Uh, but I just want you to engage the truth. Maybe that means quieting your heart. Maybe this Memorial Day, you think about someone you've lost. You think about someone in the military, maybe that you love, and you, there's a storm there. And maybe today this song just encourages you and helps you to break through that. So we're going to sing it together and invite you to engage in this truth as we worship Jesus together. Let's sing. Let's sing.